Up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Hello, and thank you for joining us once again for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, lifetime superhero fan, and this is the podcast exclusively about animation springing from the world of comic books. Thank you for joining us, and let me quickly explain the rules. Number one. We're talking comic book animation. I just said that. Number two, I'm a big fan of DC Comics Presents Marvel Team Up, all the old Team Up books. So our podcast every week, I'm teaming up with a special guest and we're talking comic book animation. And third and most important rule, we got to have fun. Welcome to episode 30. Before we get into it, right off the bat, I am going to bring my guest hosts. They are the co-hosts. Of the Bitches on Comics podcast, please welcome to the multiverse, S.E. I'm so happy to be here up in the multiverse with you, Matt. Super pumped. Thank you so much. As Matt said, I'm S.E. Fleenor. I'm the co-host of Bitches on Comics. We are a podcast completely focused on LGBTQ plus folks and women. And we sit down with comic creators and critics and ask them all the questions that plague us, all the questions that we worry about. And we also talk about their comics, of course. And we'd love to have you join us. We have episodes dropping bi-weekly on Wednesdays. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at BitchesOnComics. The website, hold on, hold your horses, it's a tough one, is BitchesOnComics.com. And if I may say... I'd say Bitches on Comic is just about the best name for a podcast I've ever heard. Thank you so much. It was one of those things where we were like, what do we call this podcast? And I enjoyed some refreshments and then was brainstorming on a sheet of paper. And I was like, Bitches on Comics. And I showed it to Sarah and she was like, fudge, that's the name. That's the name. We can't even debate it. That's the name. And here we are a couple years later, holding true. (laughs) Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us this week. Now... Last couple episodes, we've been a little bit high on the testosterone. We did Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we did He-Man. Oh, double whammy. I love it. So we're, we're, we're taking a real shift. And this episode, we are going to talk Harley Quinn. The Harlequin of hate. <laughs> now, you may agree or disagree, but I think at this point, next to Wonder Woman and Lois Lane, Harley Quinn is the most recognizable female DC character there is. Yeah, you know, I think it really depends on who you ask. Poison Ivy's up there, too, especially since she's such a critical early villain for for Batman. But, you know, Harley, with that entry when she shows up in Batman TAS, and everyone's like, who is that? How do I get more of her? And then, you know, she bursts into the life of comics from an animated series, which is super cool. Yep, she is. I brought this up in previous episodes. She is the most famous example of something that was not created in the comic medium, but became in the comic medium and became more popular than any other character previously. 
Absolutely. And 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 you get why, right? <laughs> like, yeah, right, I got <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> and uh now she's such a part of like not only comics, but uh I mean she's really become a part of pop culture in general. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean she you know, I was even seeing Halloween. There was a bunch of little kids dressed as Harley Quinn, which I thought was hysterical. Because I was like, I don't know if I would dress a child as Harley Quinn. I also dressed as Harley Quinn for Halloween. So I was like, maybe it's more appropriate for my age than yours. But you know what? You do you, kiddo. I love the costume. (laughs) Uh, Fun fact to bring that up. Because in 2016, she was the most popular Halloween costume in the world. Is that the year Suicide Squad came out? I think it came out in summer of 2016, if I remember correctly. That makes sense because, you know, she was, I mean, the only saving grace of the first film, certainly, and both films, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong. I love King Shark, so I enjoyed King Shark's appearances in both. But yeah, she's so good. Like, Margot Robbie, get out of here. Get out of here with that amazing performance. Seriously. I wasn't a big fan of the first one, but my friends get mad at me when I say Will Smith and Margot Robbie were the only pretty much the only redeemable quality oh god i forgot will smith was in it and he was good you're right you're right you're totally right yeah i mean those movies are not good (laughs) no (laughs) i thought the second one was the third act of the second one i thought was really good it's just it kind of meandered in the first two acts you know what matt no one said it better i completely agree i I remember walking away and being like damn i kind of liked that but i was really unhappy for like an hour of watching it (laughs) We're going to get first into a little bit of the history of the character. She was created by uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm back in 1992. I swore the first episode she ever appeared on was Christmas with the Joker, but every all of my research says the Joker's favor is the first appearance of Harley Quinn. She has a really small first appearance. She's almost only like a hench person. She's not really... She doesn't feel like the iconic Harley. She just feels like, oh, this is just another hench person, which I think is partially why you think that. Because I think you're right that the the Christmas one is like the iconic. You know, you really start to see her be like wild. Now, in fact, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, I think both said that uh, she originally was intended to be a one off. Mm -hmm. They just wanted a foil for the Joker. But then they ended up both really liking the character. And obviously, over time, the character caught on. Yeah, and she was voiced by Arlene Sorkin in Batman TAS. And that voice, I think, is part of what really made her something different. You know, Sorkin decided to take her in that sort of that accent that, you know, gave her sort of her cultural background, that gave her a really rich identity and made all of her like wild behavior just that much more over the top. You know, Mr. J, that's like, you know, what, what are you going to do with someone who talks like that, who's also like busting heads open, you know, <laughs> like delightful. I think you read my show notes because that's uh, <laughs> where I was, go- <laughs> was going next. My bad. Paul Dini uh, says that uh, he the character was slightly based on Arlene Sork and he went to college with her and a lot of the ideas and whatnot were based on her and her personality. Now, uh, very popular. Once they started using her, they used her a lot during Batman the Animated Series. I, even though she got popular then, obviously her popularity grew so much more and more in the 21st century. Uh, she appeared in some of the Batman comics, but she first appeared as canon in the Batman Harley Quinn one-shot that came out in 1999, which was written by Dini and artist Yavel Gitchech, I believe is how you pronounce that. Now, have you been a Harley fan like since the beginning, or is this something that came later for you? Oh, it is. I, I mean, I grew up watching Batman TAS. I didn't have like 
reliable access to TV. But when I did, I was like, where's my Batman? Where's my X-Men? Like, those are the things I wanted to be watching. And so, you know, Harley for me, she's always existed in my mind in the Batman universe, you know? Like, there was never a time that pre-Harley for me. Do you prefer the original Jester look or do you prefer the more contemporary look she has now? Oh, you know, I think that's what one of the things that makes Harley such a wonderful character is she doesn't have a standard costume or uniform the way that other heroes do, right? Like Wonder Woman has a myriad of variations on one look, right? Like it's it's the Wonder Woman look. But Harley can walk out with Daddy's little monster on or Harley can walk out in full jester garb or Harley can walk out with like pink and blue pigtails. And every time you're like, oh, that's Harley but it's a different kind of flavor of Harley. So I actually have enjoyed, you know, I I really, really love the Palmiotti Connor runs of Harley, like any of them. They're all amazing. And they always play with her costumes really interestingly. So I really enjoyed that. You know, I even like her in some of the one-offs where she just shows up in, you know, a Poison Ivy comic and she's wearing like a slightly different costume. So I like them all. I think what's cool, and we'll obviously talk about this when we get into talking about the animated series Harley Quinn is, you know, there's also sort of an internal journey that she's expressing through her clothes. And I think that's just as real talk, you know, (laughs) like we all do that to some degree. I never, I never really thought about it that way, but you might have a good point there. Paul Dini claims, I don't know if I believe this or not, that he wanted Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn to be in a relationship back in the nineties during the animated series. But either he, thought against it because he figured they wouldn't allow it or they said no. I'm not sure if I buy into that. People have a habit of after the fact saying things like that an awful lot. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they planned it, but it's certainly there. I mean, there's more than one scene where Harley and Ivy are laying around in underwear in that apartment they share with one bed in it. You know, like, I'm not like really reading between the lines there. I'm just looking. I'm just observing. So, you know, who knows? Like, yeah, you're right. People do like to be like, oh, you know, it's like very typical after the fact to meaninglessly queer something like, oh, we always wanted Lando Calrissian to be pansexual. And we're all like, and I, wh- where's okay. <laughs> like, he doesn't say it. He doesn't show it. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is not meaningful representation. Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's offensive, but they always want credit. For something they didn't do in the actual source material. (laughs) That's such a good way of putting it. They want credit for something they didn't do, but said in an interview once. Excuse me? (laughs) I could say anything in an interview. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that I don't know Paul Dini and I'm not a mind reader, so he very well could have wanted to do that. I'm just saying it's it's I'm not sure I believe it. That's all I'm saying. I love that. I'm not sure I believe it. I'm not saying I don't believe it. I'm sticking with I'm not sure. (laughs) And her real name is Harleen Quinzel, which I can't decide if stupid or a great name or not. (laughs) I think that's one of the things I I really loved in the animated series. And, you know, I know we're going to get into it, but the Harley Quinn one, there's this moment where... The Joker's like, I created you. I gave you the name Harley Quinn. And she's like, uh, you took it from Harleen Quinzel. You don't get any awards for that. Now I love it. Before I felt the same way of like Harleen Quinzel. But now I'm like, you know what? 
Love it. Count it. So we're now going to go to the Harley Quinn cartoon, which originally debuted on the DC Universe streaming service, a very short-lived uh, DC <laughs> Very <streaming>. short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> we're going way back to November 29th, 2019. <laughs> oh, damn. The very ep- first episode, Till Death Do Us Part. Now, this was uh, written by uh, Justin Halburn, Patrick Schumacher. I don't know if that's any relation to Joel Schumacher. And uh, Dean Laurie, and they were also the executive producers. And this episode is also directed by Juan Meza Leon, who I believe directed a bunch of the DC stuff, some of the direct movies. And I could be wrong, but I think he might have directed Into the Spider-Verse or the sequel, possibly. No, I think he's going to direct the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. Now, at this point, I should say there's going to be spoilers if you haven't watched any of this. And I can't speak for SE, but I am not an expert on Harley Quinn. So I'm just a guy who likes comics. So I might may or may not get things incorrect going forward. And now the third season is going to be on HBO Max. How um, excited were you when you first heard Harley Quinn was getting her own com- uh, comic book, her own cartoon? Oh, my gosh. Ecstatic. You know, like nervous, though, because Harley... <sighs> Harley Quinn's kind of like a lot of different characters, like, well, pretty much all of them. But I was thinking like Deadpool, The Punisher, Captain America, where they kind of have two groups of broad appeal. And I think that the people who love Harley Quinn aren't always on the same page. (laughs) So I think there's like one group of people who love Harley Quinn who are like, look at this sexy psycho kitten. And like, you know what? fair enough. Like, I guess you can have whatever outcome you like for yourself. And then there's a group who are like, oh, Harley Quinn represents this sort of like queer and anti-capitalist and anti, you know, toxic masculinity perspective. She's an abuse survivor. She's all these things that we don't really get to see a lot in comics, especially not in, you know, female characters who have, as you've pointed out very well, like such high profile characters. And so Harley appeals to like some very different groups of people the same way like I love Deadpool. And I know that some people who would love to strip my rights away from me also love Deadpool. Very confusing. So, you know, I think about that a lot with Harley. So I think I was a little bit nervous, pretty excited. Birds of Prey had not come out at that point. Harley Quinn and or the the Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That film, which is the sort of in the DCEU, takes place somewhere in the continuum of the Suicide Squads. Like she mentions that she's been in Suicide Squad when that film takes place. That hadn't come out yet. So, you know, I didn't know what we're going to see cuz like we've talked about suicide squad has some highs and lows you know it's a little bit like oh those little shorts like they probably chafe a gymnast <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if she'd wear sequin tiny shorts while she's fighting 25 bad guys but you know who am i to judge and again she's hardly quinn maybe she would she is a little bit different so i you know all those feelings <laughs> it was such a simple question and i have such a long answer <laughs> <laughs> All those feelings were going into it. But then I, I like Kaylee Kyoko, and I knew, knew she was going to be voicing Harley. I knew that Ivy was going to be in it. I love Ivy. I knew that we were going to see King Shark, who I also love, and Clayface, who I also love. You know, Dr. Psycho, I could definitely do without <laughs> uh, for reasons. I think even when I first started watching it, I was like, huh. 
do I like this? I cannot tell. And yet every day it comes out, I watch it within an hour of its release. <laughs> I think I love it, but I think I have conflicted feelings too. You can say what you want about it, but to me, I think it deserves credit because it's literally the only Marvel DC cartoon that a woman is the main character. Literally the only one. Mm. So I think it deserves a lot of credit for that because they talk a lot about female representation, but they don't really show it when it comes to their animation line all that much. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. Like you're so, you're, I mean, you're obviously dead on the money. <laughs> In a minute, we're going to get into the uh, part of the show where I always give credit to the creators and the voice actors, but <laughs> I got to bring something up a little bit awkward. I don't know if you remember this, uh, where there was this two-week period where social media was ablaze because of the Batman-Catwoman scene that was <laughs> <laughs> that was not was rejected appearing into the <laughs> cartoon. I don't want to get too vulgar about it, but let's just say that uh, their intention was Batman to make Catwoman feel good in a <laughs> very adult way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A very uh, Catwoman-centered adult way. <laughs> and I, I know some people are uh, upset. I, I don't know. I, I, I think if the tables were turned, I would still not really care to have that in a cartoon. But maybe that's just me. Honestly, I just loved the internet discourse. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I mean, I think Catwoman can do better than Batman. But I also get that she's like, <laughs> I agree. But I also kind of love this. And I'm like, you know what? I get it. Cats love to play with things before they kill them. You know? <laughs> She's having a great time. All right. We're going to get into the voice acting and the uh, creative credit before we watch the episode. First, obviously, Harley Quinn, created by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. And like you had said, voiced by Kaylee Coco, obviously the most famously known for playing Penny on The Big Bang Theory. Poison Ivy, created by Robert Kniger and Sheldon Maldoff. And she is voiced by a Lake Bell who had played uh, Sally Heap on Boston Legal, Dr. Cat Black on Children's Hospital, whatever that is. <laughs> and she, she was the voice, actually, I didn't know this until doing this, she voiced Black Widow on the uh, What If series on Disney+. Plus. Oh, damn! Good for you, Lake. <laughs> Joker, created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson. He's voiced by the, uh, the great voice actor Alan Tudyk. Obviously from Firefly fame. He also is really integral in that first season of Doom Patrol, and he's incredible. Yeah, played Mr. Nobody on the Doom Patrol. Oh, so good. Also voiced King Candy in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Obviously Batman, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. He's voiced by uh, Diedrich Bader, who had voiced him on the uh, amazing Brave and the Bold cartoon. Oh, yeah. I knew I recognized the voice. I'm loving this, by the way, man. I'm like, ooh, tell me more. Commissioner Jim Gordon, he was also created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. He was voiced by Christopher Maloney, obviously most famous for Law & Order SVU. He was on True Blood, I believe. And he actually, in connection to the DC Universe, he appeared in Man of Steel. And he also voiced Hal Jordan in Green Lantern First Flight. Now, I only covered the people that appear in this episode, so you'll notice I left some of the main characters out, but they didn't appear in the first episode, so I'm only covering the people that appear in this episode. Finally, the Riddler, created by Bill Finger and Dick Sprang. He was voiced by Jim Rash, most famous for playing uh, Dean... Pelton. Yeah, Pelton on Community. I mean, I'm obsessed with Jim Rash, so... 
Perfect. <laughs> Delightful. What a cast. That's badass. It is a pretty impressive voice of actress. I I only know him from Community, and he appeared in one of the Captain America movies, but I don't really know if I've seen much with him other than those two things. All right, without further ado, we will take a little break. We are going to watch Harley Quinn till death to us part, and we're going to talk about it when we come back. Don't go anywhere. I'm a is that you? It's me. We're through. This show is hilarious. I becomes really aggressive. Bring it. Harley Quinn is very good friends with Ivy. You know you can just hand me some money. You don't have to make it rain. And she finds crazy people that end up working for her. Well, everyone hold hands and squeeze your butt cheeks together. Harley Quinn is thoroughly a psychotic in a great way. I love my logo. Six Flags America puts a sinister spin on the new Harley Quinn's insanity. Experience weightlessness as you soar through the skies at 70 miles an hour and plummet 15 stories again and again. Birds of Prey is Deadpool with a dash of Tarantino. It's a f***ing triumph. I never said that. It's so much f***ing fun. It's a It's a It's DC's best film yet. Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey. Rated R. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. All right, and we're back. And we just watched Harley Quinn till death do us part. So notice it was kind of weird. They didn't really have like a like an opening credits intro to the show. Did you notice that? Yeah, you know, I oh my gosh, let's do this. Let's get nerdy. So for me, what really stood out this time watching it was exactly that because for me, the show doesn't start until the end of the pilot. Everything up before that is a is like a a prologue. It's not really the Harley Quinn show yet, right? Because she has that costume change that happens. The theme music comes in. And then at the end, we see the credits for the show. The title sequence actually shows at the end of the episode. So that's like my theory. Yeah, I kept, I thought it was like a prologue and I kept expecting the music to kick in and it just never did. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's a prologue for a whole episode. (laughs) So we open on a yacht in Gotham Harbor. There's a bunch of old men in suits and crooks, and there's a giant pile of money. <laughs> the guy says, uh, he, <laughs> this made me laugh so, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> Toasting so to our funny. favorite thing, a pile of money and effing the poor, and they all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Harley comes in on the best entrance line that she could. And I will curse in this case because I'm quoting the show. <laughs> Party's over, you pieces of shit. <laughs> That's the first thing she says in her own show. I love it. <laughs> and she tells him that uh, I'm taking the money to back the F off. <laughs> oh, man. And then everybody laughs and says they're not afraid of the Joker's girlfriend. And then this sort of like really threw me off. I was not. <laughs> I didn't see this coming. She smashes his kneecap with her giant hammer. <laughs> blood and like it bends the wrong way like the the violence really uh took me off guard for a second really not expecting it like for a parallel it reminds me of um 
archer in terms of like how violent and how the violence like shows up in the animated series. It reminds me of that a lot. But it's also tonally really in line with her comic appearances and also, again, Margot Robbie's uh, appearances as her in the various films. She tells him to shut the F up so she can talk. Now, we're literally a minute into this and there's been three F-bombs already. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, Matt had to be like, listen, Essie, you cannot say a bunch of F-bombs on the show. And I was like, I am so effing glad you said that before we recorded because I was in the the Harley Quinn zone. I was ready to drop three F-bombs in my intro, but you were right, Matt, and I withheld. (laughs) I I do appreciate that. (laughs) So uh, everyone points their guns and tell her it's a big mistake coming alone. But then the captain says uh, she didn't come alone and he rips his face off. <laughs> it's the Joker says that she brought a plus one, eh? And then he's like playing with the guy's face. It's so messed up. And the other guys are barfing. <laughs> and Harley and Joker are like bickering. And she's like, you weren't supposed to come in yet. I was doing this. And he's like, oh, but I thought of this really funny line. And she's like, that doesn't matter. It's so funny because it's like the conversation they're having does not match the actions they are taking in real time. You know, like they're beating people to death and bantering about like their relationship she even says putting what the f are you doing and uh then she's gonna threaten that she's gonna kick ass but then joker before she can do it throws an acid bomb that he forgot he had she's like why you're doing it again and he's like oh i forgot i had it i had to use it it's like a big gunfire with with blow torches bazookas bullets she says she wants when they hear harley quinn's name that they piss themselves. I want a taste of that. And Joker says... You want to taste piss? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> and uh, she says she wants to be in the Legion of Doom, which I thought was pretty neat, but uh, Joker says they don't take sidekicks. And uh, she says that she's a partner, not a sidekick. Then all of a sudden, Batman drops in. Pretty uh, grand entrance. Like, I got to say, I really do appreciate that as wacky and dumb and sophomoric as the cartoon is, that Batman is like the one character they keep serious throughout the whole episode. When it works, right? Like, you can't really have such a slappy show if you don't have, you know, a quote unquote straight man. I'm not actually speculating about his sexual identity. (laughs) I am saying like his job is to not get that everything's a joke, right? That's the only way such an absurd – and you know the whole Justice League ends up over the course of the show sort of playing that role. It's one of the things that I think is so great about comics for people who haven't read them before that I thought the animated series did really well, which is like comics aren't – truth and i'm using scare quotes but you can't see me they aren't truth you know like when we read a deadpool comic we're not reading a factual list of events we're reading a deeply skewed version of events from deadpool's point of view and so from harley quinn's point of view batman is like goofy as hell and so she's just like he f's bats and he you know he's he's not like a real scary dude he's just like that stiff guy who like never really does anything cool and is always mad at me for being with mr j and so we are seeing the world through her lens in the comic and i thought that was such a clever way of translating the material so joker he uh he escapes through a sub by uh using harley quinn to uh buy him some time 
And she even says, isn't he cute when he escapes? <laughs> he does say that he'll break her out of Arkham either tonight or maybe tomorrow after breakfast. So we jump to the roof of the police station with the bat signal, Gordon, Harley Quinn, and Batman. And I'm not really sure why, but Jim Gordon is a complete bumbling mess. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on here, but... Because it's from Harley's point of view. So she sees him as a bumbling fool, not as like a cool detective. <laughs> okay, that... I was so baffled watching it, but you say it like that, that actually... A light switch goes off. That makes that seem a little bit more right? like it makes sense. Yeah, like when you realize like, oh my gosh, these aren't like, like, I don't know if Wonder Woman said those exact words to Superman, you know, later in the show. That's how Harley perceives it happening. And Harley has a skewed point of view, as we know, you know? <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, why the hell is he acting like this? I was so confused. But now that you say that, that, that actually puts it a little bit in perspective where I'm not as confused as I was watching the show. So they ask where the Joker is, and as you referenced earlier, she says, uh, I'm not telling a guy who Fs bats. <laughs> I got to say that line made me laugh harder than anything on the show. It was so stupid, but it was so out of nowhere that it, I totally started laughing like belly laugh. It's also a little secret for your listeners. If you watch The Birds of Prey and The Emancipation of One Harley Quinn and you watch through the credits, there's not a post-credits scene, but there's a post-credits voice recording of Harley Quinn talking about how Batman Fs bats, but she gets cut off before she can say it fully. It's actually like one of those Easter eggs that you're just like, oh, wow, someone somewhere loves me. <laughs> Gordon is quick to point out that uh, he does not f bats. Uh, <laughs> He's so defensive of Batman; it's really like adorable. He's like Batman's amazing. So she has this big uh, dream sequence about her and Joker dancing in a gazebo and him proposing, and he gives her a ring in the in it, saying "Till death do us part." Keep that in mind because that comes up later on in the show. She talks about them going on a cruise where it's all exclusive, which then Gordon goes on another insane rant about how they say they're inclusive, but they charge you for towels and liquor and what. <laughs> she says the Joker is going to break her out of Arkham as sure as hell as uh, he F's bats. <laughs> she's, she's not going to spend a single night. And then on the screen flashes six months later. Now, uh, we go to a scene of various villains from the rogues gallery getting visitors. I didn't know in an insane asylum you're allowed to visit people and uh, just sit there with them. But I guess apparently that's a thing. You know, Arkham's not what I'm going to call best practices in <laughs> mental health care. Killer Croc tells her that he's not going to show up, which she then proceeds to smash his face in the glass and tells him to F off. Then Ivy actually tells him to F off, but says that... Uh, but he's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, she says that uh, he's going to show up in an IVS calendar man who happens to be there, uh, how long he's been in there. And he says, 183 days. Then we get this bizarre transaction where his wife says that you don't remember your son's birthday, but you remember the incarceration rate of this. Did she say porn clown? Is that what she said? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the son says it's okay, and he brought a cactus. Which the guards flip out, knock it out of his hand, say that no plant life's allowed with 50 feet of ivy, you moron. <laughs> and even say, no wonder your dad doesn't remember your birthday. What a couple of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it, it's so funny. This the show's so quick, you know. So that exchange is all like what, twelve seconds? Yeah, it's super quick. From Ivy asking how long Harley's been in Arkham to them destroying the cactus with fire because they're afraid of Ivy. And it's clever because it also, you know, I, what I like about the show is it doesn't assume you know everyone. Like, you know, it doesn't say like, oh, you must read all of the comics. So you would know who everyone is. So it communicates like Ivy's power through that small cactus moment. So then as the events unfold, we're like, oh, right. Ivy's like wild, powerful. And it's like, exactly. So then we go to three months later where there's like, I wouldn't call it a prison break, but they're uh, Harley Quinn's in a straight jacket and she's fighting a lot of the uh, prisoners while uh, Poison Ivy uh, tells her that she could do better. She even says Joker's psychotic. He threw you into a vat of chemicals. She, I think she said something to the effect of a, more of a vat of freedom sauce. Yep. While biting a, a guard's ear off. <laughs> she says that he made her who she is today, which the guard goes... Aw. And she kicks him in the face. Uh, <laughs> we go to three months. I get another three months. All the, the rogues galleries are in the cafeteria, including Man Bat, inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> Ivy's trying to convince him to leave him that, uh, and says, you know, don't tell me I don't know him like you do, which they say uh, simultaneously. Riddler shows up with this riddle about when a gymnast uh, hit the uneven bars in the Olympics. What did she do? And Harley says, win a medal. And <laughs> Ivy says, not menstruate until she hit her 20s. <laughs> Ivy's so angry in this comic, and I love it. So much respect. Uh, she broke a record. What Riddler says is what you sound like, a broken record. And uh, the entire <laughs> rogues gallery says, uh, he's not coming. <laughs> So uh, then we flip to uh, Harley's in her room thinking that maybe Joker really isn't coming. And she hears all kinds of commotions like a jailbreak. And she assumes it's Joker, but it's actually Poison Ivy who uh, she's got all these vines. She's ripping doors. She's holding people prisoner. And uh, she says, how'd you get a plant? And uh, this one kind of made me groan a little bit where Riddler says that he ate an orange and shit out a seed. like delivered in jim rash's voice so it's actually i I found it like not as cringe as i normally would i was like oh jim rash you you hooligan so i don't know the jokes in the vulgarity sometimes make me laugh and sometimes they make me groan i'm a little bit on the fence on the the you know i i totally agree you know i i kind of accept that that's like part of the humor they're going for is having like this sort of gross shock humor and it like you said like in a woman-led show which is not super typical so i enjoyed that part but i do think that sometimes they they set up a joke and then as you know you've watched a ton of these shows you always have options about what the punchline is and sometimes i feel like they choose like the second or third best punchline instead of the best punchline you know what i mean like i'm like uh you could have just been a little funnier but you went with like the crass version here which is like fine i don't dislike crass humor but I think you could have like landed a funnier joke, you know? Uh, sometimes I, I just find it's my similar problem. Sometimes with Doom Patrol is sometimes I think it's overkill. That's all. Mm. Um. So she says she's not going to leave without Joker, uh, but Ivy points out she's been there for a year and he hasn't shown up, and uh, it's an anniversary, and she uh, blows dust in her face, which causes her to pass out. It's her Ivy toxins. Exactly. 
she wakes up in her apartment surrounded by plants and there's this giant plant who looks very similar to Audrey 2 in Little Shop of Horrors, which is called Frank. Now, I'm not currently I'm not reading much of the Batman comic books. Is this a character from the actual comic books? I don't know. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I'm not reading a lot of the Batman stuff currently, so I wasn't sure if Frank the plant was from the comics or not. He says he doesn't need an effing roommate. Ivy says Frank can uh, make decision when he pays the rent. She's very upset her plants are dying, and she hired a, a kid to water them, which then Frank spits out the corpse of the kid, which Ivy asks, what if his parents show up, which he says, not a problem, and he spits out their corpse as well. <laughs> sorry i just think it's so funny <laughs> it's like why why not they're villains that's the other thing i like that the show does is it's like don't forget that like you're, they're villainous at least you know there's a lot of debate about like is harley a villain is is ivy a villain they certainly engage in uh villainous behavior you know they have a different moral compass and i love it now uh Ivy tries to explain that Joker doesn't care. Um, they've been on the news that they escaped and he never came, which, of course, makes Harley jump to the conclusion that something terrible must have happened. Otherwise, he would have come and uh, got her out of jail. Ivy explains how uh, brilliant she is, that uh, she should see what's going on. She diagnosed me, which she says, you are a classic mythanthrop with abandonment issues. He uses plants to avoid intimacy. Which even Frank agrees with. But I, I forget sometimes that Harley's origin was she was a psychiatrist before she became a criminal. Oh, man. That's like one of my favorite things about her is like she will vary from smashing someone's knee to like telling them about their most intimate daddy issues. And you're just like, what? <laughs> like, okay, you're right. But also what? Ivy explains how she helped her. And she says, what would Harley, the psychiatrist, say to you? Which Harley starts talking to herself in the picture and how uh, her relationship is a classic codependency abusive relationship with no future that uh, she needs to move on. I got to say, I'm, uh, I'm not knocking Ivy, but I got to say with the, the, the relationship with Harley Quinn, they, and maybe this is how she's in the comics now. They've really, she doesn't seem as much like the same character I grew up reading as poison Ivy. I, I don't know if, uh, the New 52 or Rebirth, they, they kind of changed her. But her personality is a lot nicer in this version than the Poison Ivy I grew up with. Yeah, again, because it's from Harley's point of view. And oh, Ivy yeah. loves Harley. <laughs> Ivy treats Harley really nicely. And so Ivy and Harley, like, they see each other very differently than other people do. Because you're right. Like, Ivy and, – and they show this later in the show. They, they do such a good job with this lens thing. I'm just obsessed with it. Where, like, Ivy is killing a bunch of <laughs> – I'm sorry, billionaires <laughs> in like vats of acid, like plant wise, you know, she's using her plants to like dip them in acid. And she and Harley are having like a very lovely conversation sitting on a pier about like, what is their friendship holds? And, you know, and, and like, they're having this very sweet interaction. And like, Ivy's really, really decisive in her actions. Let's put it neutrally. <laughs> She is not having a problem killing billionaires who kill plants, you know, and destroy the environment. She's like, this is not a problem for me. So we switched to the Joker watching a news report that Harley, Ivy, and Riddler escaped from Arkham. And they even described Riddler as Gotham's funniest criminal. <laughs> now that really uh, pisses off Joker. He shoots the TV. He even asks his henchman who's funnier than him. And he says, Harley? 
So he shoots him and says the classic, women aren't funny, <laughs> which has been the classic trope going back, I don't know how long, <laughs> where that hasn't been brought up. Uh, Harley and Ivy are in the uh, room. He says hi, which she just like is like, just hi, you left me there for a year and I- I'm going to break up with you. When then Joker goes on this laying it on thick speech about how that's the only way to keep Harley safe is uh, breaking up, having her stand on her own. And it's the only way to protect her. He even references that he paralyzed Jim Gordon's partner. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a reference to what happened to Barbara Gordon or not, or if that's just something completely random on the show. But he wouldn't refer to her as a partner, so that one threw me off just a little bit. He says that... uh. The threat of death can't keep us apart, and they're going to stay together, which then Harley Quinn and him really exchanged a pretty nasty <laughs> kissing, which uh, <laughs> is pretty gross. She even tells Ivy it's going to get gross and to leave the room. <laughs> I do like that they didn't make it seem romantic in any way, shape, or form. Like They are like exchanging spit, and it's pretty not pleasant to look at, I'll say that. <laughs> Like their relationship as a whole. So they switch to the bat signal with Gordon and uh, Batman shows up, says the Riddler has a riddle so funny it's going to make your brain explode. That's going to solve it. And then in another bizarre exchange, he turns down Gordon's invitation to a barbecue. (laughs) We go to a fun house. Uh, Joker's still pretty mad about the, the Riddler. To take his mind off, it hardly made a bread pudding for her pudding. That is so sweet. <laughs> and weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but pudding? Like, what? <laughs> We're in Gotham, not England. And uh, he calls the Riddler an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then he shoots the cake because he hates raisins, but she explains they were chocolate chips. And he goes, oh, I do love chocolate chips. And you're like, that is literally a microcosm of your entire relationship. <laughs> The damn bread pudding. <laughs> uh, he says uh, it bothers him because uh, Riddler's shtick is he's the world's most indirect asshole. <laughs> uh, Harley says she'll kill Riddler if they can have a date night together and watch a uh, Reese Witherspoon <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah, which we find out the Joker's a big fan of uh, Legally Blonde. But... Much to his chagrin, she rented Sweet Home Alabama. (laughs) Joker yells at this, day sucks! (laughs) Also, I noticed about the show is Harley Quinn seems to be the only person who changes her clothes on this entire cartoon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With the exception of them being in the prison uniforms, everybody else pretty much wears the same outfit the entire episode. So, uh... We switch to a giant Spinks that's green with big question marks on it, where I'm laughing and then Harley makes me laugh even more because she says, how do they not find these layers? It's true. They always have these layers that are custom to the villain in the middle of Gotham. In the middle of Gotham. Like, they're in Central Park. You know, the equivalent of Central Park. And you're just like, this is a green Sphinx with question marks on it. Like, why can't you see this? So uh, they're they're about to film Riddler on TV where uh, the cameraman says, uh, we're murdering everyone in Gotham in three, two, one. <laughs> and uh, Harley and Batman show up at the same time, which surprises Batman. And while they're arguing about it, they get trapped in two giant glass balls. 
And Riddler does his classic riddle of uh, who is cold but still burns. It'll eat you if you drink it. And they both cut him off and say it's acid, which he gets very mad about saying he's not finished yet. And he's like, wait, did I say the cold burn you thing already? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yes. And he's like, all right, it's acid. I, I, you got so He's expecting the Joker to, to show up, which the Joker does. And he's actually kind of angry because it turns out the Riddler never had the funniest Riddler that was going to make people's brains explode. Um, Are riddles even funny? I, I was wondering. They they can be, but they're they're more brain teasers than actual jokes. Right? So it's like there's so many layers of like hilarious happening here, right? Because it's like kind of a commentary about how the Joker is so impulsive and like reacts as if whatever he's being told is the truth. like And not the truth, like a truth he's made up in his mind. You know, and you're just like, wait, but that's not what riddles are. So he says Joker has to pick who's going to die and who's going to live. They're both against vats of acid. And he does apologize to Harley, but he just couldn't let the Riddler get away with killing Batman. That's got to be his honor. He dips Harley into the uh, the acid. And uh, she has the flashback again. Before before we go into the flashback, the thing that stood out to me this time that I hadn't thought about before was like, we know what Joker's going to do, right? He's going to save Batman yeah. and kill Harley. But what I didn't realize before was like, Batman hits the ground and chases the Joker. He doesn't even try to help Harley. He doesn't try to save Harley from falling in the acid. Nothing. He's just like, all right, time to chase the Joker. And that's when I'm like, oh my God, maybe the Joker is right. They are kind of in love and obsessed with each other. Yeah, he doesn't. He just takes off after Joker. He um, Harley can just die. He doesn't even care. Right? Unless maybe, and his, he's the smartest guy in the world, maybe he knew that the Riddler was never going <laughs> to kill him. I, I, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Batman's like, thanks, Matt. You know what am I, I'm all about. <laughs> maybe I'm reaching here, but maybe that's what's going <laughs> I jumped the gun, actually. Ivy pulls her out of the acid, and she has the vision again of uh, Joker and her... And the gazebo proposing. And Ivy explains that's not really what happened. Well, psychiatrist Harley is who explains it. You're right. You're right. Because it's says, in the vision. So psychiatrist Harley is like, wait, that's not what happened. And suddenly, like, the fantasy Harley had made up in her mind kind of, like, melts away. And it's like, the violinists, those were henchmen. <laughs> the ring you were handed, that was a grenade. <laughs> like, oh, what? 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 Because her brain had, like, made up... That, that romantic story for her to justify staying with the Joker and to justify all the abuse and everything she'd gone through being worth it because he loves her. And it's like, no, he was talking to Batman. What? He really did say, uh, till death to his part, but he was more speaking to Batman than he was. He was looking at Batman. <laughs> and as goofy as the show is, I think it does present an actual interesting question is like, have the Joker and Batman really developed a codependent relationship on each other? Ivy explains that that wasn't actually acid. It was margarita mix. And this was all just... It still stings. Uh, this is, yeah, it still stings. <laughs> and it was a big setup to just show her that the Joker really didn't care about her, which Harley really kind of has an epiphany that Ivy is kind of right about it. And I got to say, maybe I'm... Uh, Maybe I'm giving too much credit to a cartoon, but it actually, I think, actually kind of portrays a message of uh, of how hard it is to, when you're in love with someone, realize sometimes how bad they actually are for you. Totally. No, I think you're, you're right. You're totally right there. It's like a very, 
We don't see a lot of humor about abuse, right? For very clear reasons. (laughs) It's a hard line to hit. And do they nail it every time in this show? No. But they do, I think, especially in this opening episode, this this pilot, they do handle it in a way that I found really interesting. Like, she's grappling with the fact that she's a villain, right? He's a villain. So their moral compass is different than the typical person's, quote unquote. There isn't like a how to keep your villain hubby happy, like self-help book, right? But Harley could probably write one. Just <laughs> Keeping that in mind for the future, like how to make your villain partner (laughs) happy with you. Uh, Or, you know, maybe that's not anyone's job. But, you know, so they don't have a model for how to do this. And like something we know, right, from having read the comics and seen older, you know, the Batman TAS is the Joker really does physically abuse Harley on a regular basis. Emotionally, physically, she is to him, you know, a tool to be played with and hurt and thrown away when he's done playing or a toy, perhaps. I I do think they do a nice job grappling with that here where Harley really has to have that like aha moment. And I like that she has a first aha moment, then goes back to the Joker and then has to have another aha moment where she finally individuates. It's like, I think it's a really interesting way to talk about codependency and abusive relationships, you know? I agree. Um, Now, this is the part where... (laughs) I'm going to make this PG-13 because this next part I just can't say without actually using the swear. But Ivy says maybe the best line in the episode. You still got me and I care enough. I spent my entire Saturday setting up this, which is so f***ing stupid. (laughs) I love Ivy who is just over it. You know, she does not like people, but she likes Harley and she's what stuck in the ways of humans now? Humans? And the fact that she describes her own, she describes the plot of the show, well, not the whole show, but the, the plot to be stupid <laughs> just made me laugh. And she didn't say it like angrily. She just said it like matter of resigned. fact. Yeah, like matter of right? fact. She was just resigned to the fact <laughs> that it was stupid. <laughs> she says that the hardest part was getting all that margarita mix, which Riddler says she should have got a Costco card. She explains that it wouldn't be worth it because she'd only go once a year. Never in a comic see the exchanges between the Riddler and Poison Ivy where they're talking about Costco, right? It's so humanizing. It's delightful. (laughs) She finally realizes, you know, that they go back to her apartment. She can't believe what all this time she's wasted on Joker. And then Frank says, boo-hoo, you used to be in a dog park. Come to me when a St. Bernard shits on your face. (laughs) Oh, and Frank is an original character for the show. Okay, all right. I should have probably done that in my research myself, but uh, that's on There's me. so many characters, it's hard to keep track of them all. That's why I brought you on, so you can, you can correct me. On <laughs> but there I was like, Jesus Christ, we just had a scene I liked, and then you got to dip the quality with this stupid sophomore <laughs> joke. And Ivy actually says, now this is, uh, this was weird to me how it was said, I guess, that uh, I don't, maybe they're just trying to not jump the gun and build it up, but Ivy says she loves Harley in a odd, hard-to-articulate way. And everyone in the universe was like, queer. You mean queer way. You mean you want to touch her and she wants to touch you. Okay. Got it. Yeah, like even going into this, if I didn't know they um, they had had a relationship, I'm kind of baffled by why they just didn't come out and say it right then. But maybe that I haven't seen the whole show. Maybe they're building up to it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You, you've seen more of it than I have. What do you think? 
you know, I think it was, again, this is that question, right? When you ask a creator why they do something, are they telling you the truth or are they like ascribing rationale to something that they just kind of did in the moment? I can't tell you. But Halpern and the other creators of the series talked about how they wanted the romance between Harley and Ivy to be a slow burn. And they really wanted Harley to deal with her baggage before she started a relationship with Ivy. And this is a massive spoiler. So if you're like, you know, I'm in and I don't want to hear anymore, stop listening now. If you're still here, they (laughs) do actually end up together at the end of uh, season two. And there's a really cool comic out right now that's currently coming out. It's written by T. Franklin. And I believe the colors are Marie Louise, but I don't know who does the art. Eh, Well, I'll look it up later. It actually picks up where season two ends. So it's all about Harley and Ivy, Harlevy, as their couple name is called. Ooh, power name. Total power name, right? As they go on this like uh, sort of pseudo honeymoon, because as we find as the series goes on, Ivy ends up in a serious relationship with this very minor hero for a while. But then she and Harley keep being drawn back to each other. And it does evolve romantically from there. So, you know, like, do I love the slow burn of it? I don't know. Do I love how much Kite Man there is in it? Ugh, no, I do not. Uh, but you know what? I'm I'm here for season three. Like, I'm like, fine. I'm buckled in. I am excited to see. And the creators did say, you know, no, we're not going to, like, undo the relationship in season three. So they will be still together. But they're working through hard stuff still. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be interesting to see where they take it. But again, you're so right that the line in this episode is so weird. I love you in a hard to express <coughs> queer way. <laughs> You're like, uh, what? <laughs> I think if that had happened years ago, maybe 10 years ago, people could argue that it was, they just didn't have the nerve to go forward with it. I, I think I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're just trying to build to that on the cartoon itself. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the other thing that's just true is, you kind of have to Trojan horse queer stories in sometimes. And DC's been super touchy about Ivy and Harley being canonically in a relationship. So they've undone it a bunch of times. They let them be together in like other universes like Injustice League and, and you know, any of the, uh, the bombshells universe. So they're like together, but then they're like not together. So it's cool. I mean, it, you know, I think about it a lot with this comic that like they probably were facing some pressure not to have them start out together, which makes sense in a way and they still like pushed through that to like make it a a natural arc for them so you know i probably won't watch season one a lot over like the rest of my life but i might be watching season three a lot depending on where it goes (laughs) so then a guy shows up with a he's got a box and a (laughs) it's a gram saying that uh the joker knew she'd make it out forget the past I sent this idiot to have a blast, and then the guy has a realization, and then he blows up, <laughs> body parts flying all over the place. <laughs> Ivy's like, tell me you didn't find that charming. And she didn't, but she does say there's something romantic about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she says that uh, she's going to show the world that she can stand on her own. Maybe she's going to put the mayor in a missile, shoot him to the moon, unless they name a highway after her. Which uh, you did reference earlier in the episode. 
And that is a running gag throughout the show, throughout the comic I just mentioned with T. Franklin. Like, Harley Quinn Highway is a thing. And it is so funny because it also draws from the sort of zaniness of that Batman and Robin movie. I don't know if you remember the live action one with Arnold Schwarzenegger where they like oh they, they go on this giant highway that makes no sense. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's like a direct reference to that. And I love it. You mean the highway that's like above a statue that's like the size of a statue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in the in the animated series, it's a statue of Harley. <laughs> but she says she is done with the Joker. That is it. She is done. She shows up at a fun house, another fun house, Joker's headquarters, which she's wearing the outfit that's it's not exact, but it's very similar to Suicide Squad, the first movie, and much more in line with the the current way she looks in the comic books. I would say it's pulled from the Palmiotti Connor run, um, more so than even the Suicide Squad. She does say it's me, dickhead, which is also the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> I forgot that it was also the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> oh, see, some of the jokes work and some of them you're like, all right. <laughs> and Joker's mad because she doesn't break up with him. I mean, you don't break up with me, I break up with you. And uh, she says she's going to be the top villain in Gotham and going to replace him, which I do like that she says top villain, that I, I hate when villains become heroes most of the time. I, so I'm glad that she's going to stick to being a villain. We switch to this pretty awesome fight scene where the Joker is going to kill her and he has all his henchmen and they're fighting with uh, Joker bombs and uh, different weapons. She at one point loses her hammer and gets the uh, the baseball bat instead and uh, starts kicking ass with that thing and then like angelic music yeah. starts playing and then the theme song starts rising and you're like oh my god i just watched the transformation of harley quinn and she's like you know slamming people with her bat she's using joker bombs to beat up the baddies it's awesome what i liked about it and i may be alone in this is even though she kicks ass she gets beat up herself, which there's, mm-hmm. which I liked because her tendency to be overcompensation with a lot of female characters where you can't even land a punch on them. So I'm glad she kicks ass, but she doesn't do it completely unscathed. Like it's to me, I, I think it makes the fights better where there's actually some stakes in the, in the, uh, in the case because you know everybody's getting some digs in. And that's also Harley's fighting style, right? Like she's very physical. She's a gymnast. She's gonna get in close range and get hit. Ivy? Ivy can control all plant life. You're not going to touch Ivy, you know? She ends up, like, just completely destroying the headquarters uh, all together. Like, it literally blows up, <laughs> falls down. <laughs> she says that uh, she's going to F shit up, in fact. Ivy uh, says that uh, she loves the new look, and uh, she's going to get Thai food later, and uh, text me what you want, which uh, Harley immediately says she wants the green curry. And Ivy's like, no, just text it to me because I'm going to forget and then I'm going to get you something you don't want and then you're going to want some of mine. And I'm like, they're in love. <laughs> You've told us so many ways. I'm listening. I'm watching. This is real. <laughs> Who hasn't felt that pain being in a relationship? It's either that or the old. What do you want to eat? And I don't know anything. Oh, my God. Right. And Joker asks if she's going to kill him. And she says, no, I want you to alive. So I can see the look on your face when I run this town. Then boom, we hit that music. We go to the credits that we were looking for the entire episode. 
Absolutely. It's it's so that's why, you know, I actually didn't have this theory before we started the call. But that's why my theory is that the pilot is actually the prologue, because you don't get that title sequence, that theme song, the new uniform or the new costume, the new arc. It really all starts right there in the final moments of that episode. All right. And on that note, that's uh, Harley Quinn till death to his part. We're going to jump right to our spectrometer. We're going to rank what we saw on a scale of zero to four, zero being awful, four being absolute perfection. S.E., how are you going to rank Harley Quinn till death do us part? I'm going to give it a three. It's got more Joker than I want in my Harley Quinn stories, but it's a necessary, I think, entree for people who haven't read a lot about her in the comics or maybe didn't grow up with the animated series of Batman. I will also give it a three. I really enjoyed it. I thought the animation style was really good. I like the goofiness of it. I think it's unique in that sense. It's not like a lot of other things. I like how it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I like how they incorporate the entire DC universe. Like it's still a thing, but they don't they do not do the MCU job of making everybody a clown and a jokester. Like they keep mostly everyone true to their actual character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that they bring in a lot of really minor villains. Like, later in season two, Condiment King shows up, and you're just like, right, I forgot about him. (laughs) Only complaint I have, and it's kind of my own hang-up more than a reflection of the show, is my daughter is two. I try and have her watch stuff with strong females, and DC produces one cartoon on a female, and she can't watch it because of swearing and violence and sexuality. But I guess that's more my hang-up necessarily than a reflection of the show itself. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's certainly not geared toward a young audience. Harley Quinn, the animated series, is definitely for adults. <laughs> what did you think out there? Did you like it better than us? Did you like it more than us? If you didn't like it, that's great. We can't take that away from you. If you thought it was perfection, that's good as well. see. I really do appreciate you uh, joining us, giving your two thoughts on Harley, providing a little bit more expertise than I have. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're looking for any further reading about Harley, I wrote a really fun article for Shelf Dust, which is a very cool comic website, where I talked about her first appearance in continuity and why she is, in fact, Batman's greatest enemy. And uh, you did it a little bit at the beginning, but uh, before we wrap it up, the floor is yours. If you want to plug anything, now's the time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, Matt, it's been so fun to be here talking Harley with you. Again, I'm Essie Felinor. I'm a co-host of Bitches on Comics, where a bi-weekly podcast episodes come out on Wednesdays. We interview LGBTQ plus and women comic creators and critics and other folks involved in pop culture, science fiction and fantasy and horror. And we just have great conversations. We'd love to have you join us. Again, we are at Bitches on Comics on Instagram and Twitter. And we are also at BitchesOnComics.com. You can tune into our episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. And hey, if you find out you can't get it, come find me. Come hit me up on Twitter. I will figure out what's wrong with that because we should be everywhere. And if you could follow me on Twitter, I'm at Matt Spectro. If you go to my Facebook page, it's Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. If you could uh, follow like i'd appreciate it if you have any comments please i definitely recommend you uh, go there i always like to hear feedback smash the subscribe button i appreciate it and try and join and share with us every week sc again i really can't thank you enough for being here i hope you will come back sometime and do another episode with us oh you can't keep me away (laughs) and on that note thank you for joining us and tune in again next week for another episode of matt spectro through the multiverse 
Shior.